thought on the subject of Christmas was God's idea. And it, it, that, that's the truth. And so to, today, this morning, I'm going to ask you to open to Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. Amen. I don't think there's any bad weather yet. All right, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I, I had that post on there. That, Take your time, Pastor. Amen. But uh, we'll, we'll try to get you out of here by 12 or a little after if we can, okay? Uh, but I want to share a thought with you this morning from, from Matthew chapter number 2. Again, a part of the Christmas story. And I'm going to read, I'm going to begin reading with verse number 11. Of course, Matthew chapter 2 deals with the, the Magi, with the wise men coming from afar. And uh, from probably Babylon is where most of the commentators and theologians think that these men came from. They came from the east, probably from Babylon. And they saw the star, the, the star led them. This was the very first Star Trek. And um, was they, <laughs> they, they, saw, they saw his star, that, that God put his star in the east, and they, and, they, and they followed him, they followed the star, and they came to, the, to Jerusalem. It led them to Jerusalem. How long it took these um, these wise men, these kings of the Orient, to, to, to get to where they, they were, it, it doesn't say. It was probably quite a while because it was a long journey for them. And they came, and they came to Jerusalem and they began to inquire there at Jerusalem about where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have saw, uh, we've saw his star, we saw his star, and we followed the star to here and and so Herod, Herod didn't know exactly what they were talking about, so he called together some of the chief priests and the scribes, and Herod the king asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they knew. They said, well, according to the Scripture, he's to be born in Bethlehem. And they quoted the Scripture from Micah chapter number 7. I believe it is Micah 7, Micah 5 maybe. But anyway, they quoted the Scripture from Micah that tells about that Bethlehem would be the place where the Christ child was born. So these, these men went to worship the Lord, these wise men, and Herod had told them, said, well, once you find out where he's at and you go and worship him, you come back and you tell me where he is because I want to go see him and I want to worship him too. Snake in the grass. Amen. And so uh, they went and they presented the gifts. And we know the story of the gifts that were presented, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And there's a message right there in those three gifts that the wise men presented to the Christ child. But then the Bible says, and I'm going to read from verse uh, 11, okay, or verse 10. Let's do verse 10. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. And fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Verse 13 says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream 
saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word again. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child, Joseph did, and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. I want to talk to you this morning on the thought, for just a few moments, on the thought of Christmas in Egypt. Christmas in Egypt. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful presence of the Lord already that we, have, we, we sense here in this service, for the, for the wonderful worship and singing today. Everybody lifting up their voices to rejoice and to praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you're, you have definitely now manifesting your presence in this, in this sanctuary and in this service. And we just ask you today, I ask you to help me to minister your word, to preach your word to this congregation. Give me the words to say. Open our hearts to receive what you, would, what you Lord, would want to say to your church. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen and amen. The visit from these wise men and the gifts that they brought to give to the Christ child and to, uh, when they came to worship him was no doubt a great, a great encouragement to Joseph and Mary. They presented to him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And um, what a blessing that it had to be to them for them, for these wise men to come and uh, make that long journey to come and worship the Lord Jesus. But their encouragement, I believe, was probably short-lived because uh, Joseph receives an emergency message from God in a dream. And uh, the Lord speaks through the angel in this dream and lets Joseph know that Herod, the evil king, would seek to kill the Christ child, would seek to kill Jesus, and that he needed to take the young child and marry his mother and go into Egypt and stay there in Egypt until he got another message from the Lord to return back to, um, to Judea. And so um, that's exactly what Joseph did. The Bible says that when he arose, he immediately obeyed the Lord and got Mary and Jesus together and they fled. They fled from, from Bethlehem and they left and they went into Egypt as the Lord had instructed them to do. And so when we think about the trek, the flight into Egypt, we don't know how long they were there. doesn't say how long they were in that place. But what in the world does Egypt have to do with Christmas? Or what, in, what, what does Egypt have to do with the Christmas story? But I do believe there are some nuggets here that I want to try to give to you this morning and, and trust that this will be a blessing to you because Egypt, when we look at Egypt and its typology and its symbolism, we know that Egypt is a picture of the world, don't we? All through the scripture, it's given as a picture of the world. The very first mention in the Bible of Egypt is found in the book of Genesis when Abraham went to Egypt. And the Bible says in Genesis 12 and 10 that Abraham went down to Egypt. 
And when it refers to going to Egypt, the Bible usually always refers to that, that trip as going down. It's a downward trip. And that's how it describes Egypt, going down to Egypt, because the land of Egypt in the Bible, as I said, is a type of, a wor- of the world. It's a type of the world with its lusts and its allures and its sin and its shame and its slavery and its sorrow. And do you know what? That there will be a lot of people this Christmas that will spend Christmas in Egypt. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not, but to many people, all Christmas is is a time of parties and a time of drinking and drugging and fussing and fighting. It's a time of lust and liquor and shame and misery. It's time spent in Egypt with little to look forward to. But the good news about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the fact that as a child he was taken down into Egypt gives us some encouragement because I believe that the main thrust of this message of Jesus going into Egypt as a child gives us a picture of the fact that Jesus went down into Egypt so that he could bring us up out of Egypt. Amen? That's that's the whole story of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this passage of Scripture and in this narrative, we have a message. First of all, we have a message. I see a message here of preservation, of God's preservation. Because God sends an angel to warn Joseph of the plan that Herod has to take the young child's life. We know the story, if you'll read that second chapter, that when after the wise men had went and worshipped the, the Christ child, the Bible says that you know they were supposed to go back and report to Herod where he was at because, you remember, Herod wanted to come and worship him too. But uh, uh, they were warned as well of an angel and a dream and and in a dream they were told don't go back to Herod but you flee and you get out of here and you go another way and so the Bible said that that they departed for their own country another way. And so God warns them about about, uh, the plan that Herod had and warns Joseph about the plan that Herod had to kill the Lord Jesus. Now these were not the best of times for a child to come into the world because Herod, as you know, when he saw that he had been deceived by the wise men, then he sends out the decree that all the babies from two years old and, 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 and below from up to two years old would be put to death, all the male children. And uh, so, you know, it's not a good time at, at that point in time. It wasn't a good time for a little child to come into the world. You know, when I was thinking about that, I thought it's kind of the same way today, even in the 21st century, because this is not really the best time for a baby to be born or brought into the world as well, because we're living in a land and in a place and in a time when we have abortion on demand, and we see the slaughter, and since 1973, there has been the slaughter of literally millions and millions of unborn babies. 
because we have our modern day Herods today that have set themselves up to, to destroy the unborn. And I want to say something. We know that, that in the Bible what Herod did to destroy these children in the Bible was murder. And can I tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, that what's taking place in America today and every abortion clinic is murder just as well today. And we just as well, we just as well realize that. Amen. I know it's been, you know, it's talked about, well, it's, it's, a, it's that woman's right to choose. And this is not my message this morning, but while I'm here, I just have to mention it. You know, it's, it's not your right to choose to murder any woman's right to choose to kill an unborn child. And that's what it is. We stand against abortion and we stand against every politician that stands for abortion. I'll just throw that in there as well. I pray for the day, and I trust that you do too, that we pray that the day will come when there will be a, revolt, a, a reversal of, of the Roe versus Wade from the Supreme Court, and there will again be a day when it will be against the law to murder the innocent babies in this nation. And I want to say thank the Lord. I think, I think that since, uh, since 2016, there has been a decrease in the number of abortion clinics in America. And many of the, many of the Planned Parenthood uh, facilities have even shut down and closed down. And we want to thank God that we're on the right track and we're headed in the right way. Come on, somebody. But we're living in a land today where... It's dangerous for little children. It's dangerous for, for little boys and girls, many of them being born today into a world of sexual abuse and drug addiction and alcoholism that scars them for their life. We're living, as the Bible predicted, as the Bible said, we're living today as well in perilous times. And Egypt is a, is a reminder of that. This world that we live in is a reminder of that, that we're in living in dangerous times. And it may get worse before it gets better. So we just make sure that we've got a good grip on the Lord Jesus, a good grip on God. Amen. That we're standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. But Egypt is a reminder to us of the attempts of this world to fill our lives with trouble and pain. And I think... Every one of us understands and realizes that in this world we have trouble, we have tribulation, we have problems. And um, Jesus, by, by the, the Lord Jesus being taken and fleeing to Egypt, Joseph taking him to Egypt, is a type also uh, of the fact that Jesus understands the kind of world that we live in because he came to this world as a man. He was born into a world of heartache and peril and, and misery and, and, and all of those things. And at the time of his birth, his life, his life was in danger. And all through his life, his life was in danger. But God had a plan. And here was, you know, Satan had a plan to destroy the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God had a plan and got his son into this earth and brought him into this earth. And God has the plan to preserve his son while he's in this earth. Can I get an amen there? 
Thank God for that. You know, God is always, uh, some people say, well, God is always one step ahead of the devil. Let me tell you something. God is light years ahead of the devil. Amen. Whatever the devil, you know, he comes up with his schemes and his plots and his plans and his designs against our life. But how many knows that God has already got a plan to preserve you and he's already way ahead of the devil and everything that the devil has planned for you, God already has it all worked out. Come on, somebody. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. So, you know, God had that plan to preserve the Christ child. And so Joseph is visited by an angel in a dream. He's told to take the baby to flee to Egypt. And there's something that that I've always noticed every time that I read through the Gospels and I read this particular passage, the thought, and I don't know if anybody, if maybe this is just the way I think, maybe you thought this too, I don't know. But the thought always comes to me, why did God send that angel to, to have Joseph to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt and wait till Herod died. Why didn't God just kill him? Huh? I mean, when you read over in Acts chapter 12, uh, the successor of Herod, an angel of the Lord smote him and he, was, he died eaten of worms. That's a terrible thing, but that's what the Bible says. And I thought, why didn't God just, just kill Herod right there and get it over with? I mean, and saved, you know, you know, all those babies that died. Why did all that have to happen? And when you think about that, though, when you think about that, uh, God, God didn't do that. He didn't perform a miracle. Now, he could have. Don't you agree with that? He could have performed a miracle because he is the God of super, the supernatural. He's a God of miracles. But here, God chose to preserve his son and preserve the, the, the Lord Jesus by ordinary, normal means instead of performing a miracle. And I think there's a, a lesson here for you and I as well because even though God is a God of the miraculous and he's a God of the supernatural that many times God works in our life just in simple ordinary means can I can I get an amen there today sometimes God just works that way and from the time that Jesus was a baby I mean going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when God gave the prophecy to Satan to the serpent rather that uh, that that there was coming a seed of the woman that would crush and bruise the head of the serpent ever since God made that revelation known from that time on Satan tried his best to eliminate anyone he thought would be that seed that's why he had Cain to kill Abel he didn't know but what Abel maybe was the seed that was coming to crush his head but from From that very beginning, from that prophecy in Genesis 3, Satan attempted to destroy the messianic line all the way through. Even if you'll notice when you read the Old Testament, when David was the chosen one to to be through whom his his, uh, lineage, the Messiah, would come, how Satan tried to destroy the life of David. But here now the Christ child is born, and from the time he's a baby, 
baby, Satan attempts to, uh, to destroy his life, to take him out, to prevent him from coming and, and, and crushing the head of the serpent, of the devil. But in all of the attempts that Satan made to destroy Christ, God preserved his son. I think that's amazing. I think that's, that's something awesome that God preserved his son. Hallelujah. You know, at Calvary, when you get to the cross and when you get to Calvary uh, and, and Jesus is hanging there on the cross and he dies on the cross, the devil thought that he had Jesus right where he wanted him and the devil thought that he had finally engineered the death of the Lord Jesus, that he had finally succeeded in getting rid of this promised one, this Messiah. But instead of destroying Jesus, Satan didn't realize it, but God's plan that is in what he thought was destroying Jesus, the devil was ultimately destroying his own self and bringing about his own death and his own demise through the crucifixion of the Son of God on Calvary. Paul even said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that had the, had the rulers and the princes of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It was such a secret, a divine secret that God had. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that it was through death that, he, that Jesus died that he might destroy or bring to naught or bring to nothing him who had the power of death which is the devil. I want you to know that that Jesus has defeated the powers of darkness at Calvary. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Jesus was preserved in Egypt because God had a plan for his life from the very beginning, from the very beginning before the foundations of this world. God had a plan that his son would come and be born into this earth so that he could die and be the supreme sacrifice for our salvation. So there was no way the enemy was going to destroy the Christ child. He was preserved in Egypt because God had a plan for his life. How many of you all know that God has got a plan for you? He's got a plan for our lives. I believe that everyone who is born again, who is a part of the family of God, God has a plan for you. And sometimes, sometimes that plan includes miracles in our life. And God works miracles to bring us to, uh, through different situations and to give us supernatural deliverance. Has anybody ever experienced that? Many times God will do that. But you know what? For the most part and most of the time, uh, there's not the supernatural deliverance, but it's just an ordinary day by day doing the will of God. The Bible said, and Mark brought this, this verse out in our testimony service on that couple of Sunday nights ago, but Psalm 37 23 says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You know what that means? That if you commit yourself to God, it's just a day by day, one step at a time, walking in the will of God, following the leading of the Lord, amen, and everything that Satan brings against you to try to mean harm for you and destroy you, if you would just let the Lord guide your steps and lead your life and follow him and give yourself totally him and be led by the Spirit, I'm here to tell you that he will, he will guide and preserve your life. Amen? He will preserve you and he is committed to take care of you because you belong to him. Can I get an amen today? Hallelujah. 
praise the Lord. There's preservation. So in this, in this, in this narrative, I see protection. I see preservation. I see God protecting his son, his only begotten son from the destruction that was planned by Herod. And in the same way, you and I who are in Christ, who are in Egypt, in a world full of, of peril and, 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 and trouble and problems and destruction and plagues and diseases, I see divine protection for you and I that God's will will be performed in our lives. If he's got a plan for you, if you will follow him, he will work that plan out in your life. Hallelujah, he has a way of causing all things to work together for your good to those who love the Lord. Amen. Amen. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. So there's preservation in the Christmas story, in Jesus going to Egypt, but secondly, I see here identification because it says that Joseph got this, this message from the angel, and when he arose, here was immediate, immediate obedience to the Lord. And it said, when he arose, Joseph took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. So what does that have to do with the Christmas story? That Joseph takes Jesus to Egypt. Well, I believe, as I said, there's identification here because it's a picture of how Jesus came down from heaven, born of a virgin, to live in this world of sin, Egypt being a type of the world. How that God sent His Son to this world. He so loved the world that He gave, the Bible said, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, that's good news today. So He sends His Son to Egypt. He sent His Son to this world to live in this sin-cursed, fallen, ungodly world. But the thing about that is that Jesus, even though He came to this world, He was made flesh and dwelt among us, as we talked about last week, yet He never sinned in the 33 and a half years of His walk on this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life and never did sin. Oh, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. He's the only person, Jesus is, to live on this earth and never one time ever sin. The Bible says that he did no sin, neither was there any guile or deceit found in his mouth. Not one time in all of the temptations that he went through, in his facing Satan in the wilderness, in all that he that that in all of the years that he lived on this earth, never one time did he sin. He came, and as I said, the only one that ever fulfilled that task. He kept the word of God. He kept the law of God perfectly and never failed in any way. He lived a perfect life. That is part of the gospel story that not only was Jesus born of a virgin in the, into this world, but he lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life. Praise God. That's something to shout about today. Amen. 
Hallelujah. He never partook of sin. So he came to this world to identify with us in our humanity. Never partaking of sin, but it was, it was, it was, it was he, he was the only one who did that. Now it is impossible for anybody to live, any human being to live in this world without sin. There's no one in this room that has lived without sin. We were all born with that fallen sinful nature. We're all conceived in sin. David said it in Psalm 51, that we all have that sinful nature, that fallen Adamic nature that we inherited from our father Adam. But as I said last week, Jesus didn't have that fallen sinful Adamic nature because he didn't get his blood from, from Adam, he got his blood from his father God. Come on, somebody. Woo, hallelujah. There was pure blood flowing in his veins. There was sinless blood flowing in his veins. And so he did what no other man had ever been able to do. I mean, even after you're saved, even after you're born again, even after you have the Holy Ghost, sometimes you still mess up. Oh, hallelujah. Sometimes you still falter. Sometimes you still fail. But thank God that there's forgiveness even when we fall down. We can get back up. Come on, amen. But Jesus became a man, the perfect man, the sinless man. And that is what Christmas is all about. It's the Word becoming flesh and coming here to dwell with us. It's the Word, Jesus being made flesh, born of a virgin to live in Egypt for a while, to spend some time in Egypt with us and become identified with us. He was identified with our humanity and he took a on himself the likeness of sinful flesh he became a man just like just like you're a human Jesus lived in total complete humanity but as also 100% totally God he was the God man and so with him being human and taking our humanity, he did that so he could understand us. And let me tell you something, Jesus does understand us today. He had a physical nature. He was divine, but yet he took upon himself the seed of Abraham, the Bible says. He had a physical nature. He got tired. He had to sit down at the well and rest in Samaria. He went to sleep on the ship when they were crossing the Sea of Galilee and got into a storm. He got hungry. He got thirsty, just like you and I do. Jesus felt pain. He knew what it was to sorrow. He wept at the grave of Lazarus. Jesus was human, and he came into this world to be identified with our humanity. And that's why, that's the reason why he is a high priest today that sympathizes with the feelings of our infirmities because he's already been where you are and he knows what you face and he knows about your temptations and he knows about your pain and your suffering. Hallelujah! And he sympathizes with you because he was identified with our humanity. Amen? 
Not only was he identified with our humanity, he was also identified with our sin. And we talked a little bit about that uh, last Sunday from 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus knew no sin. He never sinned. He never, he never uh, did anything wrong. But the Bible says he that knew no sin was made to be sin or made to be a sin offering for us so that we now can be identified with him and made the righteousness of God in Christ. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 2.24. He said, who himself, speaking of Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. See, listen to me, saints of God. This is the good news of Christmas that Jesus came down here to be identified with you, to be identified with me. He came down here to be the supreme sacrifice and to take your place on Calvary and to die in my stead and to take on humanity, to take on the sins of this world so that now everyone who accepts him can have their sins washed away and be made the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. That's what Christmas in Egypt is, that Jesus came to this world to deliver me out of this world. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's preservation. It's about preservation and it's about identification. But most of all, it's about our salvation. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's what Christmas is. It's about your salvation. In that 15th verse, he said, they went down to Egypt and said that he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, notice this, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying out of Egypt, I have called my son. It's a fulfillment of a prophecy, it says there, Matthew said, that by Jesus going into Egypt, spending some time there, and then after the death of Herod coming out of Egypt, fulfilled a prophecy. Out of Egypt I've called my son. That's the fulfillment of a prophecy given by Hosea. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1 is where that prophecy is found. And there's actual, actually a double fulfillment. How many of y'all know that prophecies, Old Testament prophecies in the Bible can have a double fulfillment? And this is one of them that does have a double fulfillment because when, when Hosea gave this prophecy in the 11th chapter of Hosea, maybe I'll just read it to you. We've got just a few minutes. Let me read it to you and you'll get the idea of what he was talking about. In Hosea 11 and 1 it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. That's the actual prophecy. And then Matthew says that Jesus coming, Joseph bringing Jesus out of Egypt was a fulfillment of that prophecy. But the very first fulfillment of that prophecy, it referred to Israel 
being brought out of Egyptian bondage and slavery there in Egypt. That's what Hosea was referring to. Out of Egypt I have called my son. He said when Israel was a child, I loved him and called him out of, my, out of, out of, out of Egypt. I called my son. We're familiar with that story, aren't we? Of Israel, God's people being in bondage there in Egypt. For some 400 and some odd years, Israel was there as slaves. They were made slaves by Pharaoh and had taskmasters put, masters put over them and, and they were under those taskmasters who made their lives miserable with, with slavery and bondage. And this is what Hosea is referring to is when the Lord sent Moses down into Egypt and God called Israel, his son, out of that place of bondage. And as I said, Egypt in the Bible is always typified. It's a type, it's a symbolism of the world. It's a symbol of bondage and slavery to sin. Pharaoh himself is a type of the devil in that, in that narrative in the Old Testament and how that Satan binds and enslaves and the world and sin binds and enslaves people and they cannot break free and they cannot loose their self. And can I tell you something this morning that every unsaved person, and I want you to hear me this morning, every unsaved person is down in Egypt in that land of sin and slavery, in that land, in that place of the world, bound by the taskmasters and the sins and the slavery of the enemy. Let me tell you something this morning, and that is this, that, that Egypt and Pharaoh will make a slave out of you. I know, I know that, you know, we think that sin is something fun and sin is something enjoyable and God is a God of love and he just overlooks our sin. But let me tell you something this morning, folks, that sin and Satan and Pharaoh will make a slave out of you. Sin will wrap its tentacles around you. Pharaoh will not let you go. Pharaoh will hold on to you as long as he can and you cannot deliver yourself from the bondages and the powers of sin. There's nothing you can do to set yourself free. I hear people talk about people that were on drugs and alcohol and stuff and said they got their life straightened out. There ain't no way you're going to straighten your own life out. If you could straighten your own life out, Jesus would have never had to come to this Egypt. If you could straighten your own life out, Jesus would have never had to went to a cross. But the reason he came to this world, the reason he took your sin, the reason he went to Calvary is because none of us can straighten our own lives out. We need a Savior and a Redeemer to set us free from the power of sin. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Matthew is telling us here that the Christmas story shows that what God did for Israel in the exodus of Egypt he wants to do for the whole world by coming, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and through His work on the cross. He came to this world to save us. And as I said at the beginning of this message, He came to this Egypt to bring you and I out of Egypt. He went down into Egypt to bring you out of that sin and out of that slavery and out of your backslidings and out of your bondage. 
Let me tell you something. The good news of Christmas today is that you do not have to stay in Egypt. The Passover lamb has been slain and Jesus has broken the power of darkness for everyone who will accept him as their Lord and as their Savior. Come on, amen? Hallelujah. The word of the Lord today is the same that is, as it was in that day to, is, to Pharaoh when Israel was in Egypt. It's let my people go. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's the only way that you can be set free. So this prophecy given by Hosea mentioned by Matthew, has that double fulfillment. It's the fulfillment in Israel coming out, but it also has the fulfillment in Jesus coming to this world and bringing us out. And I think that it's interesting to note that this prophecy was given by the prophet Hosea. I don't know if anybody here is familiar with the prophet Hosea? Are you familiar with the story of Hosea? But if you like a good love story, I would suggest you read the book of Hosea, at least the first three chapters of the book of Hosea. You know there's some good love stories in the Bible for you ladies that like that. Amen. Ruth's a good one. Amen. It's a good one. Esther's a good one. But, but Hosea is also a good one because if you're, if you're not familiar with the story of Hosea and his, his wife, let me, let me just fill you in just a little bit. Because, because Hosea had gotten direction from the Lord to marry a girl by the name of Gomer. Now don't think of Gomer Pyle. All right. Think of that. But I'm sure this lady was a very attractive young lady, and God had directed Hosea to, um, to, uh, to marry this young lady named Gomer. And so Hosea and Gomer get married, and they have three children. But there's something that, that begins to happen in their relationship. Hosea senses that there's just something that's not right with their relationship. I don't know how long they had been married, but something's just not like it should be. He can sense it, and there's talk around town that's going around, gossip and people talking about something that's going on with Gomer and some of the things that Hosea's wife is doing. And so come to find out what it was, was that Gomer actually wanted her freedom. She didn't want to be married to the prophet of God anymore. She had harlotry and adultery in her heart. So she decides to leave Hosea, the prophet of God, and she goes into sin and she begins to live a life of harlotry, a life of whoredom. She walks away from her husband. She walks away from her three children. She leaves her husband to raise those kids and she goes out. I'm sure, I'm sure Hosea must have begged her. He must have pleaded with her to stay because he was in love with this woman. And he must have pleaded with her not to leave, not to go. But yet she goes on and she leaves him to go after many lovers, to go after many lovers. And so she leaves and goes down into live in Egypt, into the world, so to speak. 
And she's there enjoying sin and the pleasures of this world. She's made up her mind. She's going to live it up. She doesn't want anything to do with this being the wife of a preacher. She doesn't want anything to do with uh, anymore with being a, a pastor's wife or a preacher's wife. She's going to go live it up and do what she wants to do. She's out hitting the bars, hitting the clubs. She's got a different partner that she's with every night. And while all of this is going on in Gomer's life, Hosea is at home taking care of those children. There's a lot of that, what I've just told you this morning, that's going on in this world today because that's what Satan desires to do to everyone is to bring you. If you're saved, he wants to get you back in Egypt. If you know Jesus, he wants to bring you back in Egypt. And I know that Hosea was heartbroken. I, I can imagine he spent many nights crying himself to sleep because he has been faithful to this woman. He's been faithful to this wife. He loved her. But now she doesn't love him anymore even though he still loves her. And what God did here through all of this was he was teaching Hosea and giving him a, a very pungent lesson here that this was the way Israel had done God. God had taken Israel and they had become his wife. He was their husband. But yet they had corrupted themselves and went into spiritual adultery and spiritual harlotry. And so he was telling Hosea, this is what Israel has done to me. And, but yet God still loved Israel even though they were away from him. Just as Hosea still loved Gomer, even though she was in Egypt, in that world of sin. But one day... After so long of a time, he hadn't saw anything or heard anything from his estranged wife for quite some time. And one day, Hosea just happens to be in town and just happens to be in the marketplace. And as he's walking down the street, he notices that there's a slave auction that's going on there in the middle of the square. As he goes by and passes by, he happens to, to pass by a certain slave block. And as he does, he glances up and Hosea can't believe what he sees. When he looks up, he sees there on the slave block, marked with sin, marked with stain, in degradation and in shame, he sees his wayward wife, Gomer. She's on the slave block, dressed in rags, aged by sin, as low as she can possibly get. He almost doesn't even recognize her. Because listen to me, saints. Listen to me, y'all that are here this morning. That is exactly what sin does to people. That's what it does. See, sin and Satan and the world and the devil, they will promise you a good time, but can I tell you, they'll put you in slavery. They'll bring your life to ruin. They'll ruin and wreck your body sin will destroy your mind it will destroy your emotions sin will lead you to an early grave you cannot get free from yourself uh, by yourself it's the slave market of Satan and that is where Gomer winds up in the slave market on the auction block for sale not only for sale but they've even marked her price down to a bargain, to half the price of a slave. Hosea just ought to just walk on by. He ought to just forget her. 
Hosea ought to think, good enough for it. It's what you deserve. He could have looked at her and said, I told you. She wouldn't listen to me. That's what you get. She's just trash. She's done wrong. She's been unfaithful. She's unclean. She's played the harlot with many lovers. Hosea, just forget about her. She's no good. But that's not what Hosea did. Hosea asked the slave master what the price was for this particular slave. And he says, 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Half the price of a slave. That's exactly what Satan and sin does to people today. He will use you up to where you're not worth anything. He'll get everything he can out of you and put you on the trash heap of society. Good for absolutely nothing. And many of us, probably all of us here, were in that particular situation. I know I was, and I know I'm talking to some folks today that all of us know what it's like to be in the slave market of sin and Satan, to be as low as you can go, to be as filthy and as unclean as you could possibly be and think that nobody can can help you, nobody loves you, nobody cares for you. That's where Gomer was. And Hosea could just forget about her, but that's not what he did. He finds out the price and... He goes back home and he gets the money. He gets together what money he has. He comes back to the slave market with 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley and pays the price to buy back his adulterous, wayward, unfaithful wife from the slave market. He buys her back. Listen to me. He pays the price for her and takes her away from the slave market and brings her out of Egypt and the world and takes her back home and makes her his wife again. See, what we see in that story of Hosea is what God said that he would do to Israel. But even though Israel had forsaken him, God said, I will redeem you and I will bring you back and I will restore you. But it goes so much farther and deeper than what God did for Israel. It's what God did for you and me and for this world by sending His Son Jesus into this world. He came to redeem us. He came to forgive us. And that's what Hosea did to his wayward wife. He redeemed her. He paid the price to buy her out of slavery. He forgave her for what she had done to him. And then he restores her to the very place that she had with him before she left him. That is why Jesus came. That is the story of Christmas in Egypt. Come on, son. Hallelujah, Jesus came to this old slave market of this world, of Egypt. He went to the cross and he paid the price for your sin with his own precious blood so you and I, so all of us could come out of the slave market of sin and bondage and be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Christmas is the story of redemption and reconciliation and restoration. It's the story of out of Egypt I have called my son. Yes, Lord. 
I'm so glad that he came to the slave market of this old world, of this Egypt that I was in. And he walked by and there I was. There I was vile. There I was unclean. There I was filthy. There I was undone. There I was bound by the powers of darkness. But out from that devil's slave market, Jesus said, I've paid the price. I've shed my blood. You don't have to be in that place anymore. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, thank God that he brought me out of Egypt's bondage. Well, give him praise today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, he could have passed me by. He could have passed you by. He could have left us alone, but he came to Egypt to bring me out. Every sinner who receives Christ, who repents of their sin, puts their faith in his finished work. Let me tell you, Jesus will deliver you out of that land of sin and slave market of the enemy, out of Egypt, out of Egypt. I've called my son. Worship team, would you come? Would you come this morning? A few weeks ago, on a Sunday evening, I preached about, you may remember you that were here, I preached about Joseph. And what Joseph said before he died, he told the people of Israel, he told the the people there, he said, I'm getting ready to die. But he said, God will surely visit you and he will deliver you out of this land of Egypt. And he will bring you into the promised land that he swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he said, when God comes to deliver you out, I want you to make me a promise. Take my bones with you. Don't leave my bones here in Egypt. Oh, I don't know if I can keep from shouting or not. He says, don't leave my bones here in Egypt. But make me the promise that when you come up out of this place, that you're going to take my bones with you. Can I tell you something? Not only has he delivered us from the bondage of sin, from this world of sin. But there's a promise we've got waiting ahead of us that one of these days he's gonna sound that trumpet and he's coming back with a shout and the dead in Christ are gonna rise first and he's not gonna leave my bones in no grave cause there ain't no grave gonna hold my body down, hallelujah. He came down in Egypt to take me out of Egypt. I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm going to be with the Lord. Come on, stand to your feet and let's praise him this morning. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God, praise God. I'm so glad God sent his son to this old world that he came down to Egypt, Brother Bob, to bring me out of it. Woo! Let's lift our hands and let's worship Him today. Hallelujah! 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 
praise Him that He gave the gift of His Son.